Hello everyone, welcome back to the Forgotten Books Podcast. I'm your host, Annika, and this week we embark on a new horizon. We start on The Princess and the Goblin. I am going to be taking a break from The Wind of the Willows just for a brief while as like a refresher, and so that way then we can get a new story started, and it's a really good one. Today, we start The Princess and the Goblin. It was written in 1872 by George MacDonald, and it is filled with some amazing characters, some... I love the way he writes, so the author's perspective is pretty, pretty cool in this one. And it's just a really cool book to read and, and to listen to, I hope. So without further ado, let us begin The Princess and the Goblin. Chapter 1 why the princess has a story about her. There was once a little princess whose father was king over a great country full of mountains and valleys. His palace was built upon one of the mountains and was very grand and beautiful. The princess, whose name was Irene, was born there, but she was sent soon after her birth because her mother was not very strong to be brought up by the country people in a large house. Half the castle, half farmhouse, on the side of another mountain, about halfway between its base and its peak. The princess was a sweet little creature, and at the time my story begins she was about eight years old, I think, but she got older very fast. Her face was fair and pretty, with eyes like two bits of night sky, each with a star dissolved in the blue. Those eyes, you would have thought, must have known they came from there, for so often they turned up in that direction. The ceiling of a nursery was blue, with stars in it, as like the sky as they could make it. But I doubt if she ever saw the real sky with stars in it, for a reason which I had better mention at once. These mountains were full of holes in the places underneath, huge caverns and winding ways, some with water running through them, and some shining all with colours of the rainbow, when the light was taken in. There would not have been much to know about them had there not been mines there, great deep pits, with long galleries and passages running off from them, which had been dug to get at the ore of which the mountains were full. In the course of digging, the miners came upon many of these natural caverns. A few of them had far-off openings out on the side of the mountain or in a ravine. Now, in these subterranean caverns lived a strange race of beings, called by some gnomes, by some kobolds, and by others goblins. There was a legend current in the country that at one time they had lived above ground, and they were very much like people. But, for some reason or other, concerning which there were different legendary theories, the king had laid what they thought to be too severe of taxes upon them, or had required observances of them that they did not like, or had begun to treat them with more severity in some way or other, and imposed stricter laws, and by consequence that they had all disappeared from the face of the country. According to legend, however, instead of going to some other country, they had all taken refuge in the subterranean caverns, whence they never came out but at night, and then seldom showed themselves in any numbers, and never to many people at once. It was only in the least frequent and most difficult parts of the mountains that they were said to have gathered at night in the open air. 
Those who had caught sight of any of them said that they had greatly altered in their course of generations, and no wonder, seeing as they lived away from the sun in the cold, wet, and dark places. They were now not ordinarily ugly, but either absolutely hideous or ludicrously grotesque, both in face and form. There was no invention, they said, of the most lawless imagination expressed by pen or pencil that could surpass the extravagance of their appearance. But I suspect those who said so have mistaken some of their animal companions for goblins themselves, of which more by and by the goblins themselves were not so far removed from the humans as such description would imply. And, as they grew misshapen in body, they had grown in knowledge and cleverness, and now were able to do things no mortal could possibly think of. But as they grew in cunning, they grew in mischief, and the great delight was in every way they could think of annoying the people who lived in the open-air story above them. They had enough affection left for each other to preserve them from being absolutely cruel for cruelty's sake to those who came in their way. But still, they so heartily cherished the ancestral grudge against those who occupied their former position, and especially against the descendants of the king, who had caused their removal, that they sought every opportunity of tormenting them in ways that were as odd as their inventors. And, although dwarfed and misshapen, they had strength equal to their cunning, in the process of time that they had gotten the king and government of their own, whose chief business beyond their own simple affairs, was to devise trouble for the neighbours. It will now be pretty evident why the little princess had never seen the sky at night. They were too much afraid of goblins to let her out of the house then, even in company with ever so many attendants, and they had good reason, and we shall see by and by. Chapter 2. The Princess Loses Herself I have said that the Princess Irene was about eight years old when my story begins, and this is how it begins. One very wet day, when the mountains were covered with mist which was constantly gathering itself into raindrops, and pouring down on the roofs of the great old house, whence it fell on the fringe of water from the eaves all around it, the Princess, of course, could not go out. She got very tired, so tired that even her toys could no longer amuse her. You would wonder at that if I had time to describe you one half of the toys she had, but then you wouldn't have the toys themselves, and that makes all the difference. You can't get tired of a thing before you have it. It was a picture, though worth seeing. The princess sitting in a nursery, with the sky ceiling overhead, at a great table covered with her toys. If the artist would like to draw this, I should advise him not to meddle with the toys. I am afraid of t attempting to describe them, and I think he had better not try to draw them. No, he had better not. He can do a thousand things I can't, but I don't think he could draw those toys. No man could better make the princess herself than he could, though leaning with her back bowed in the back of a chair, her head hanging down, and her hands in her lap, very miserable, she would say herself, not even knowing what she would like, except it were to go out and get thoroughly wet, and catch a particularly nice cold, and have to go back to bed and take gruel. The next moment after you see her sitting there, her nurse goes out of the room. Even that is a change, and the princess wakes up a little, looks about her, 
and then she tumbles herself off the chair and runs out the door. Not the same door the nurse went out of, but one which opened at the foot of a curious old stair of worm-eaten oak, which looked as if no one had ever set foot upon it. She had once before been up six steps, and that was sufficient reason in such a day for trying to find out what was at the top of it. Up and up she ran, such a long way it seemed to her, until she came to the top of the third flight. There she found the landing was at the end of a long passage. Into this she ran. It was full of doors on each side. There were so many she didn't care to open any, but ran to the end, where she turned another passage, also full of doors, when she turned twice more and saw still doors and only doors about her, she began to get frightened. It was so silent, and all the doors must hide rooms with nobody in them. That was dreadful. Also the rain made a great trampling noise on the roof. She turned and started at full speed, her little footsteps echoing through the sound of the rain back for the stairs and the safe of the nursery. So she thought, but she had lost herself long ago. It doesn't follow that she was lost because she had lost herself, though. She ran for some distance and turned several times, and then began to be afraid. Very soon she was sure that she had lost her way back. Rooms everywhere and no stair. Her little heart beat faster as her little feet ran, and a lump of tears was growing in her throat but she was too eager and perhaps too frightened to cry for some time. At last her hope failed her, nothing but passages and doors everywhere. She threw herself onto the floor and burst into a wailing cry broken by sobs. She did not cry long, however, for she was as brave as could be expected for a princess of her age, and after a good cry she got up, brushed the dust from her dress. Oh, what old dust it was! Then she wiped her eyes with her hands, for princesses don't always have handkerchiefs in their pockets, any more than some other girls I know of. Next, like a true princess, she resolved on going on wisely to work to find her way back. She would walk through the passages and look in every direction for the stair. This she did, but without success. She went over the same ground again and again, without knowing it, for the passages and doors were all alike. At last, in a corner, through half an open door, she did see a stair. But alas, it went the wrong way. Instead of going down, it went up. Frightened as she was, however, she could not help wishing to see where further the stair could lead. It was very narrow and so steep that she went on it like a four-legged creature on her hands and feet. Chapter 3 The Princess and We Shall See Who when she came to the top, she found herself in a little square place with three doors, two opposite each other, and one opposite the top of the stair. She stood for a moment without an idea in her little head of what to do next. But as she stood, she heard a curious humming sound. Could it be the rain? No, 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 no. It was much more gentle, even monotonous, than the sound of the rain, which now she scarcely heard. The low, sweet humming sound went on, sometimes stopping for a little while and then beginning again. It was more like the hum of a very happy bee that had found a rich well of honey in some globular flower than anything else I can think of at this moment. 
when she laid her ear against the third door there could be no doubt where it came from it must be from something in that room what could it be she was rather afraid but her curiosity was stronger than her fear and she opened the door very gently and peeped in what do you think she saw a very old lady who sat spinning perhaps you will wonder how the princess could tell that the old lady was an old lady when i inform you that not only was she beautiful but her skin was smooth and white i will tell you more her hair was combed back from her forehead and face and hung loose far down and all over her back that is not much like an old lady is it ah but it was white as snow and although her face was smooth her eyes looked so wise that you could not have helped seeing that she must be old the princess though she could not have told you why did think her very old indeed quite fifty she said to herself but she was rather older than that as you shall hear while the princess stared bewildered with her head just inside the door the old lady lifted hers and said in a very sweet but old and rather shaky voice which mingled very pleasantly with the continued hum of her wheel come in my dear I'm glad to see you that the princess was a real princess you might see now quite plainly for she didn't hang on to the handle of the door and stare without moving as i have known some who ought to have been princesses but were rather only vulgar little girls she did as she was told stepped inside the door at once and shut it gently behind her come to me my dear said the old lady and again the princess did as she was told she approached the old lady rather slowly i confess but did not stop until she stood by her side and looked up in her face with her blue eyes and two melted stars in them why what have you been doing with your eyes child asked the old lady crying answered the princess why child because i could not find my way down but you could find your way up not at first not for a long time but your face is straight like the back of a zebra hadn't you a handkerchief to wipe your eyes with no then why don't you come and let me wipe them for you please i i didn't know you were here i i will next time there's a good child said the old lady then she stopped her wheel and rose and going out of the room returned with a little silver basin and a soft white towel with which she washed and wiped the right little face and the princess thought her hands were so smooth and nice when she carried away the basin and towel the little girl wondered to see how straight and tall she was for although she was old she did not stoop a bit she was dressed in black velvet with thick white heavy-looking lace about it and on the black dress her hair shone like silver there was hardly any more furniture in the room than there might have been in that of the poorest old woman who made her bread by spinning there was no carpet on the floor no table anywhere nothing but the spinning wheel and the chair beside it when she came back she sat down without a word and began her spinning once more while irene who had never seen the spinning wheel stood by her side and looked on when the old lady had gotten her thread fairly going again 
she said to the princess, but without looking at her, "'Do you know my name, child?' "'No, I don't,' answered the princess. "'My name is Irene.' "'That is my name!' cried the princess. "'I know that. I let you have mine. I haven't got your name, you've got mine.' "'How can that be?' asked the princess, bewildered. "'I've always had my name.' "'Your papa, the king, asked me if I had any objection to your having it, "'and of course I hadn't. I let you have it with pleasure.' "'Oh, it was very kind of you to give me your name, and such a pretty one,' said the princess. "'Oh, not so very kind,' said the old lady. "'A name is one of those things you can give away and keep at the same. "'I have a good many such things. Wouldn't you like to know who I am, child?' "'Yes, I should like that very much.' "'I am your great-great-grandmother,' said the lady. "'What's that?' asked the princess. "'I am your father's mother, father's mother.' "'Oh, dear, I can't understand that,' said the princess. "'I dare say not, and I didn't expect you would. "'But that is no reason why I shouldn't say it.' "'Oh, no,' answered the princess. "'I will explain it all to you when you are older,' said the lady. "'But you will be able to understand this much now. "'I came here to take care of you.' "'It is long since you came. "'Was it yesterday, or was it today? "'Because it was so wet that I couldn't get out. "'I've been here ever since you came yourself.' "'What a long time!' said the princess. "'I don't remember it at all.' "'No, I suppose not. "'But I never saw you before.' "'No, but you shall see me again. "'Do you live in this room always?' "'I do not sleep in it. "'I sleep on the opposite side of the landing. "'I sit here most of the day.' "'I shouldn't like it. "'My nursery is so much prettier. "'You must be a queen, too.' "'If you are my great big grandmother?' "'Yes, I, I am a queen.' "'Where is your crown, then?' "'In my bedroom.' "'I should like to see it.' "'You shall some day, but not today.' "'I wonder why Nursey never told me.' "'Nursey doesn't know. She never saw me.' "'But somebody knows that you are in the house.' "'No, nobody.' "'How do you get your dinner, then?' "'I keep poultry of sort.' "'Where do you keep them?' "'I will show you.' "'And who makes the chicken broth for you?' "'I never kill any of my chickens.' "'Then I can't understand.' "'What did you have for breakfast this morning?' asked the lady. "'Oh, I had bread and milk and an egg. "'I dare say you eat their eggs.' "'Yes, that is it. I eat their eggs.' "'Is that what makes your hair so white?' "'No, my dear, it's old age. I am very, very old.' "'I thought so. Are you fifty? "'Yes, more than that.' "'Are you a hundred? "'Yes, more than that. I am too old for you to guess. Come and see my chickens.' Again she stopped her spinning, she rose, took the princess by the hand, and led her out of the room, and opened the door opposite the stair. 
The princess expected to see a lot of hens and chickens, but instead of that, she saw the blue sky first, and then the roofs of the house with a multitude of the loveliest pigeons, mostly white, but of all colours, walking about, making bows to each other, and talking a language she could not understand. She clapped her hands in delight, and rose up such a flapping of wings that she, in her turn, was startled. "'You frightened my poultry,' said the old lady, smiling. "'And they frightened me,' said the princess, smiling, too. "'But what a very nice poultry they are. Are the eggs nice?' "'Yes, very nice. What a small egg-spoon you must have. Wouldn't it be better to keep hens and get bigger eggs?' "'How should I feed them, though?' "'I see,' said the princess. "'The pigeons feed themselves. They've got wings.' "'Just so. If they couldn't fly, I couldn't eat their eggs.' "'But how do you get at their eggs? Where are their nests?' The lady took hold of a little loop string on the wall at the side of the door. Lifting a shutter, showed a great many pigeon holes with nests, some with young ones and some with eggs in them. The birds came in at the other side, and she took out the eggs on this side. She closed it again quickly, yes, the young one should be frightened. "'Oh, what a nice way!' cried the princess. "'Will you give me an egg to eat? I'm rather hungry.' "'I will some day, but now you must go back, or Nursie will be miserable about you. I dare say she's looking for you everywhere.' "'Except here,' answered the princess. Oh, how surprised she'll be when I tell her about my great big grand-grandmother. Yes, she will, said the old lady with a curious smile. Mind you tell her all about it exactly. That I will. Please, will you take me back to her? I can't go all the way, but I will take you to the bottom of the stair, and then you must run down quite fast into your own room. The little princess put her hand in the old lady's, who, looking this way and that, brought her to the top of the first stair, and thence to the bottom of the second stair, and did not leave her side until she saw her halfway down the third. When she heard the cry of her nurse's pleasure at finding her, she turned and walked back up the stairs again, very fast indeed for such a great grandmother and sat down to a spinning with another strange smile on a sweet old face. About this spinning of hers I will tell you more another time. Guess what she was spinning? And that concludes the first three chapters of The Princess and the Goblin. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this new book I'm reading. I, I know I do. I love the way George MacDonald writes, and I just I just really love this book in general. If you did, you can always let me know through Anchor Messages or through my Instagram at Annika's Trinkets. Thank you again for listening, and remember, never forget about these books.